The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to another episode of Trading Secrets. Now, we are about to ring in the bell with Vanderpump Rule Stars, Katie Maloney. So hang tight for that. But before we do, we are going to have a segment this episode we're going to try out. And if you guys like it, you let us know and we'll keep doing it. But I have asked questions for the Money Mafia. And this segment will be making money with the Money Mafia. The Money Mafia has questions. There is a link that I put on my Instagram. They can leave a voice note. We will play the voice note and I will answer the question. Today, we're going to do three questions from the Money Mafia. And then we're going to ring in the bell with the one and only Katie Maloney. So if you guys like this segment, make sure to give us five stars and give us that feedback. If you're not interested in making money with the Money Mafia and the questions that are being asked, you can just skip ahead about 10 minutes and you can go ring in the bell with Katie Maloney. Let's get into our first question with Ashley. My husband has convinced me that opening up credit cards to get the offer bonuses, especially if they are 0% offers um, where we can get cash back or points to use towards gift cards is a good idea. So we have been opening up several credit cards in order to get these bonuses. We never touch them once we complete the uh, requirements to get the cashback bonus. So I think I'm on board with it because we're being very responsible, but I just wanted to get your take on if this is something that is advisable. We look at it as if they're offering the money, we're going to take it, but always a little bit funny about opening up new cards. That is a great question from Ashley of the Money Mafia. Let's get into a few things with that question. So the first thing is, why are credit card companies doing this? Why are they putting these very attractive bonuses out there? Well, they have acquisition costs, and this is part of their marketing strategy. We will acquire a new client. We know if we acquire them, they are then in with us. And the value of getting someone on board is significantly high. They're also able to offer these very attractive sign-on bonuses because so many people don't know how to use a credit card, right? When you are charged, if you're back home and you're listening to this and you are getting charged 20 to 30% because you haven't paid your credit card bill off in full, what that means is that someone like, you know, Ashley back home is benefiting from you screwing up. Because when these credit card companies are making this much damn money off people that don't aren't, aren't using it responsibly, then this is what happens. And, and guess what? I get all fired up about credit cards. I can't even talk. The numbers are the proof in the pudding. At the end of the fourth quarter of last year, the United States almost had $1 trillion in credit card balances. That is the most that we have ever seen ever. We've never seen balances that high. And the problem is if the balances are that high because of inflation, it is what it is. But when the balances are that high and then we have equal data that is showing that delinquencies are just as high, they're increasing with the amount of a credit card debt we're putting on, it is a huge issue. So first and foremost, you're using this strategy. I don't hate it. Listen, I don't hate using and benefiting off credit cards because other people are screwing up and they have major profitability to reward the people that are using it responsible. I don't hate that. One of the things in that question that kind of threw me off a little bit was the 0% transfer. I love the 0% transfer. The 0% transfer is something that I used while I was getting my MBA. I put my MBA on my credit card and I was getting charged 0%. But I had to be very diligent with the money that was coming in from my job to make sure that I timed it perfectly so that that credit card was paid off in full before the percentage kicked in. So that's one thing I want you to be aware of. The other thing you should know of is with your credit score, there are three things that could be impacted by this. Uh, New credit determines 10% of your score. So new credit inquiries has a 10% impact on what your score is. So if you keep doing new inquiries, new inquiries, that is a sign of high risk to them. And as a result, that 10% of new credit, that will probably get impacted for the worse. There's also another percentage that makes up your credit score, your FICO score, which is 15% length of credit history. So if you have all these new inquiries and all these new lines, the length of your credit history within those lines is lower, that would ding 15% of your credit score. 
The other one is credit mix. This is where actually I struggle a little bit. But if you only have credit cards, you don't have other forms of debt, that will decrease your score because 10% of your score is made up from mix. And what they want to see is diversity of credit. They want to see a mortgage. They want to see an auto loan, a student loan, a credit card loan. The idea behind that is if you can manage all those different forms of credit, then you'll be in a position to likely pay things back at a greater rate, which will increase your score. So I would say once in a while, if you want to take advantage of these opportunities, take advantage of them. But if you keep opening up new cards, it will ding and ding and ding and ding your car, it'll ding and ding and ding your FICO score. And in addition to that, it also will likely decrease your FICO score. In addition to that, it also is leaving more inherent risk for you to make a mistake, to make a mispayment, to overspend. So unless you did it literally perfectly to a T, and even if you did do that, I'd say maybe two to three a year max. So that is my answer to Ashley. And that's a great question. Let's go to question number two. This one's coming in from Amanda. Hi, Jason. My name's Amanda, and I recently started at a company who has not gone public yet, and they provided stock options as part of the onboarding package. I have never worked at a company before that has provided stock options, so I really don't know exactly what that means in terms of how much I'm actually getting. If you could provide a 411 on stock options, maybe like a sample scenario, that would be super helpful. Thank you. That is a really, really good question about stock options. And this becomes even uh, a more deeper topic, especially based on uh, public company, private company, et cetera. I want to make a general recommendation to anybody out there that likely works for a large corporation in which they do have publicly traded stock. They might not tell you, but check in with your HR department and see if you guys offer, your company offers discounted stock. So there's usually discounted stock purchase plans only for employees. When I worked at the bank, our discounted stock purchase plan, I believe, was that I could buy the stock from my paycheck. And when I did so, I got a 15% discount on the stock. That's immediately, immediately an instant 15% return. If you guys are out there buying that bank stock, you're paying 15% more, but I'm getting a discount as an employee. So there are employee stock purchase plans. Look into them. If you got them, take advantage of them. Now, what is she referring to with stock options? These exist in private and public companies. Amanda was speaking about a private company. Let's ask you this. Why do private companies offer stock options? Well, a major reason that companies will issue stock options is because they're not actually considered business expenses. So they're not considered business expenses for a company in which they have to have such strong performance on financials because that's how they will gain more investors and eventually get to be a publicly traded stock. They also can't reward uh, high compensated employees that, at the same level. So how do you keep a really high focused, intelligent employee locked in like you, Amanda? Well, they can't pay you as much because they're brand new, but what they can do is give you stock options. So when the company does move to the next stages, you can be rewarded significantly. So not only are they reducing the amount they're paying, not only are stock options not a business expense, but they're also giving you a little tiny slice of that company. So you're highly motivated, engaged to make the company work in the best manner because when the company does, the company will pay off for you. Now, without getting too much in the weeds, because we're going to keep this under 12 minutes, you really want to know the common type of private stock option that you currently have. So there are different types. There are qualified small business stock options. There are unexercised incentive stock options. There are unexercised, non-qualified stock options. There are restricted stock units. There are long-term capital gains. So the biggest thing I would recommend to you is on these five types of common stock options that are available for private companies, ask them and don't be embarrassed. Don't be like, I don't know. Ask them the exact type of stock option it is, and with those stock options and the different types, there's going to be different restrictions on the time period, on the taxes with them, how they eventually um, translate to true dollars, et cetera. So the advice I'd give you is understand which stock options they are. 
do a little research on Google based on which they are, then go prepared with the questions that you need to know to understand vesting schedules, when taxes are due, when they will actually turn to dollars. Thank you for that question, Amanda. The last question of making money with the money mafia is coming in hot from Christy. Hi, my name is Christy and I work with internal audit at HCA healthcare. And my question is, I have 401k with HCA and their match is 4%, but I have 15% taken out of my paycheck to go into my 401k. And I'm wondering if I should just get the match amount at 4% and put the remaining percentage into a Roth IRA. Thank you. Great question from Christy. Before I even get to the answer, HCA, a company that is headquartered here out of Nashville, Tennessee, and a good friend of the families. Mr. Vic Campbell was one of the first employees there. We just talked about stock options. Mr. Vic Campbell has become extremely successful, um, financially very well off because he, just like our last question from Amanda, was an early employee in HCA. He had stock in HCA. HCA completely blew up and HCA went public and has continued to grow and all that stock turned into tons of money. So when you're an early employee, it's a little bit more of high risk, high reward, but the benefits could be absolutely massive. I don't offer financial advice here. I don't tell you what stocks to buy and what stocks not to buy. What I will tell you is that Me personally, just me. You don't have to do anything. Don't move on it. I love HCA stock. So at the very least, just go throw the ticker in your stock app and check it out. Now let's get to this question. So the big thing here is education, right? Like no one can make the decision if you should take a percentage of that and put it all 15% into your 401k or put some of it into a Roth. First and foremost, if you right now have an employer that offers you any form of match, you must match. I don't care what your financial situation is. You must match it. That's that's huge. Why do I say that? Because matches are typically going to be either 50 per, 50% dollar for dollar. So you put in a dollar, they'll match 50% or they'll be 100% dollar for dollar. When I worked at the bank, they went dollar for dollar up to 6%. So if I put 6% of my salary in the 401k, they would match that 6%. That is 100% instant return, 100% instant rate of return. Even like a credit card company, which I hate the credit card companies because they charge a 30%. You know, that's 30%. That's crazy. You should never be paying that. Pay it off. But you have a company that's going to give you a 100% return. Match, 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 match. Amanda has matched. The question is, should she take an excessive amount of that and put it into a Roth IRA? The big thing about Roth IRAs that you have to know is that when you put money into a Roth IRA, stay with me here, it's already taxed. When you put it into a 401k or traditional IRA, it's pre-taxed. So it's taxed, pre-tax going in, and then it's taxed when you come out. With a Roth IRA, it already is taxed and then it goes in. So unlike a traditional IRA, you actually can withdraw sums equivalent to your Roth IRA contributions penalty and tax-free before the due date of when it should be returned, which is 59 and a half. So if you have an emergency and the money's in a Roth IRA, it's already taxed. So you can take it out. Now, what's the benefit of doing so? The benefit is that as your career grows, it's likely your earnings grow. And when your earnings grow, your tax rate goes up. So the idea is if today you could be taxed and put that money into retirement and have a benefit for doing so, which would also serve as an emergency fund, you are being taxed at a lower rate than later in your life when your income is 2x, 3x, 4x, 5x. Now, there's also certain restrictions. So in 2022, if you're single, you must have a modified adjusted gross income of less than 144000 So if you're making more than that, you can't you don't get this benefit that the government's offered, okay? And then there's different variations based on if you're married, um, et cetera. So look into all those. But when you have that much money going towards retirement, especially early on in your career, there's always a possible benefit there to making sure you're getting taxed today, putting those dollars in because your tax rate will be higher later. So just go to like any type of Google search 
Roth versus 401k. They both are great tools and both can be advantageous. I always go back to what I did when I was in my 20s. I utilized a Roth. I no longer can because of my income, but when I could, I used a Roth and a 401k. All right. Those are three questions from the Money Mafia. I hope you guys enjoyed that segment. If you did, please give us five stars in the reviews and let us know. If you didn't, please give us five stars in the review and then let us know. And we are going to open in the bell. We're done with the money questions, the money-making questions from the Money Mafia. Let's get into Katie Maloney from Vanderpump. Let's ring in the opening bell. Welcome back to another episode of Trading Secrets. Today, I am joined by entrepreneur, reality TV star, and fellow podcast host, Katie Maloney. Katie is well known for her role in the hit reality TV show, Vanderpump Rules, for the past 10 years. Katie quickly established herself as one of the fan favorites among the cast members in Bravo's hit show and has capitalized on it personally, professionally, and financially, the perfect fit for trading secrets. Today, we are going to dive deep into the world of Vanderpump, Katie's multiple business ventures, and how she continues to focus on her mental health while being in this crazy reality TV space and all these new seasons that keep coming. Katie, thank you so much for being here and coming on Trading Secrets. Well, thank you for having me. That was a very shining intro. This is actually a good segue into, you know, we all know Katie from Vanderpump. Tenth season's coming out. Everything that you've been a part of, like wild roller coaster of ups, downs, lefts, and rights. But what was Katie like, especially professionally, before Vanderpump came your way? I was just kind of hustling, you know, waitressing. And I was, you know, pursuing acting and modeling for some time prior to that. I had done, you know, assistant work. And then right before Vanderpump, I decided to abandon all that, put it on the back burner, I'll say. And I was actually, you know, interning at a record label. And I was like, I maybe really want to pursue this, maybe want to do something in the business side of it, not as an artist. Like talent management stuff? No, in publishing or music supervision. So music song placement in film, television, commercial. That's cool. Okay. So then when did you go to school? Did you go to college? I did one semester. Okay. And then you, and then you dropped out. Yeah. I had no, I didn't really have the desire. I don't want to say the ambition, but I just, I, it didn't really appeal to me college. When I graduated high school, I was like, you know, I just, I should probably give it a shot just to see who knows maybe maybe i might love it decide to to continue with it and so i went to the university of utah and i was like yeah no not for me gotcha one of the things i think people think about especially from small hometowns that listen to this show is how do you actually make that leap of faith like yeah that's you know i grew up in buffalo small town (laughs) the idea of going to new york city and trying to work for wall street was always like the dream but then you factor in like how much it costs and all the like negativity that can come with and all the challenges when you came to LA, did you have like financial, like a dollar amount or something that you're like, okay, I now have $10,000 or a thousand or 500 bucks saved up. I can do it. Or did you just like no. say, no, I'm just. No, I had, it was maybe less than a month notice. So I, did, I didn't have time to plan. And I think it's kind of better that way because you can kind of psych yourself out. That way you really just have to make it work. I think the pressure is on and I work better under pressure. I think when it's sort of that you got to just do anything you can to survive, I think. And and yeah. I was making pennies. I think I was making like $400 a week. And that was being an a, assistant an to assistant. the stylist. Yeah. And I worked, you know, 25 hours a day, eight days a week, and yeah. I didn't have time to do anything else. So that was kind of nice. I didn't really need money for a social life, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I didn't know I didn't have, t- I didn't really have a ton of money saved up, but just enough to kind of, you know, put gas in my car and food yeah. in my mouth. I, we're going to fast forward eventually to the Vanderpump days and how much things have changed. But there are a lot of rumors out there and even facts stated by people from the show that Vanderpump is like one of the best paying reality TV shows. So when you, th- okay, so we got to look there. We're going to come back to that. But when you think about where you are today versus where you were then with your like not much, 400 bucks a, uh. a week, has a lot changed in your life? What would you tell that person that was like just giving it a shot? If you could talk to that person. Oh God, I would say just don't give up. It, Cause it, I feel like the first couple years when you're out here, it can be very daunting. It's mm-hmm. a much of a love hate relationship with the city. That's why I think the turnover rate is so 
high here. It's hard to find your, you know, family, your community here. Mm -hmm. It's hard to find, you know, a job you love. It's hard to, it's, it's hard to find your place here Yeah, and be happy here. But I think I'd say don't give up because you're, you're going to find your place. It's going to be good. It's going to work out. It's going to work out. And it Mm -hmm. did work out when you look at your career and where you are today was being discovered to go on Vanderpump like the biggest thing. I think so, definitely. I mean, there wasn't really anything big before that. I think that's definitely a case of being in the right place at the right time. Because I, you know, I had moved out here because I wanted to pursue, I mean, I had a job offer, but the goal was always to come out here to, you know, try to pursue a career of being in the movies or on TV. Yeah. And so, you know, you work at, you get jobs working at these restaurants, but you never think that, taking a job at a restaurant was going to (laughs) be that opportunity that was going to get you on TV. And to think that is what it turned into is just amazing. Now we have had, I come from the reality TV background from The Bachelor. We've had actors and actresses on. I've taken some takeaways in LA that there's this, there's this like reality TV versus acting world kind of. And like, I think actors think like they believe that like reality TV is like much lower, like beneath. lowbrow yeah, beneath yeah, to them is yeah. the word. And <laughs> if someone like yourself was thinking about getting into acting, were you at all ever concerned about going into reality TV, knowing that that would ruin your chance at an acting career or could? At that point, there was even more of a stigma attached to reality TV. It yeah. was much more, it was looked at as much more lowbrow back then. Mm-hmm. At that point in my life, I had put acting a bit on the back burner. I wanted to pursue other things. I wanted to take my future and career, if you will, into my own hands. I felt that acting, I got tired of hearing no. It was so subjective. I didn't want my future and success to be you know, at, at the whim or in the hands of someone else. I didn't want mm-hmm. it to be left up to, well, I'm just like not tall enough or something just so sure. small and in, like you know, uncontrollable. Yeah. yeah. And arbitrary. I just wanted, I wanted to just pursue something else. So when this came up, I was like, fuck it. You know, like, I, like, <laughs> I, I don't really, not like I don't really care about acting at this point, but like, that's not really my priority at this point. So may as well. Yeah. Let's just see. Who knows? Just like why not? At this point, why not? Why not? When you, when you first got approached for the show, what was that like? Well, they called a meeting at Sir, and we thought it was just going to be about the lounge because the lounge hadn't opened up yet. So okay. we assumed it was just, you know, a regular old staff meeting discussing like <laughs> protocol or like just run of show for what was going to happen next door. And Lisa was there and, you know, very quickly she just told us that they were going to be shooting a pilot or potential spinoff that they wanted to base at Sir. Okay. And so that they they, were, they wanted to kind of talk to all of us and kind of interview, ask us questions mm-hmm. for everyone that was interested. And obviously there was a number of people that weren't were not interested. Why? I'm surprised by that. Because they were people that wanted to pursue acting. Okay. Interesting. Or personal reasons, but a lot yeah. of it was, you know, they were serious actors yeah, <laughs> that yeah, wanted yeah. to be serious <laughs> okay. actors and they thought that this would hurt their career. Interesting. Okay. So when they, when you guys have that conversation, you obviously want to pursue it. You did pursue it. What were you making as a server bartender at that? What were you doing? Were you a server bartender? I was a server. Okay. What can you like approximately do you make in a world like that? I'm trying to remember exactly. I would say, you know, on a, on a good night, we're making anywhere like three, five hundred, like up to five hundred. Wow. You know, that's, like that's but like a, yeah, was, I would say topic. on average, like it's like two fifty, three. You know, like yeah. And it, we're talking on average, it was like you know maybe three, four hours of work. Not, God, not yeah, a it's not like you're you're putting in a ten hour shift. No, it was it was very for compared to some of the other restaurants I worked at where we yeah. had like it was pretty grueling, like side work and like like just it was pretty. It was like princess work, you know. Interesting. We didn't have much side work. We didn't really have to, you know, we just come in, just do our little thing and then get her done. Yeah. Okay. So how many days do you think on average you worked? Like four or five there? Mm, Four. Okay. So let's call it. So this is all approximation. These aren't exact (laughs) numbers, but let's say it's 400 on average. That's 1600 a week. And that's, I mean, that's, that's like 80 something thousand. If you'd like put the numbers in a year, that's amazing. Before I get away from this point in your life where you're 
serving. You've mentioned other restaurants and stuff. Mm. If there is someone out there serving, either because that's their full-time job and that's what they love and they want to keep doing it forever, or they want to use it as a stepping stone, what advice would you give to them? I think it's character building. I think everyone should work in the service industry. Mm -hmm. It can be just extra money in your pocket, supplementary income for sure. I think, and obviously you never know what's going to come of it too. Even if it's meeting people Mm -hmm. or it's a couple bucks, like it could be a stepping stone. One introduction, I say, could change your life forever. And it sounds like it did for you. So they come to you with the opportunity. When they say they're going to shoot the pilot, do they say like, if you come on board, do you get paid a little bit? Do they just say, you wouldn't get paid unless this works out? Like, how are they pitching it to you that you're like, I'm in? I mean, it's basically at that point, it was an opportunity, Yeah, you know, and it could be something really amazing if it, you know, if it goes and that, you know, there was a lot of potential and that the network was really excited. So it would be kind of up to us to make it into something that could be a hit. Got it. And so how long did they film the pilot for? Oh gosh, I'm trying to remember because we did, we shot the pilot. I think we shot the pilot and it was maybe like a week. And then that went off as they turned into like, it's, you know, sizzle reel kind sure. of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when it got greenlit, then we went and shot the first season. Okay. We'll talk a little bit more in the recap about the sizzle, the greenlit, what it exactly means, but it gets greenlit. You shoot the first season. How long are you guys shooting for in that first season? I think it was about nine weeks. Okay. So or less, maybe. In that, let's say it's, let's just like, I know, let's say it's like around two months ish. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so yeah. around two months ish. Are you still serving at this point? Oh, yeah. Are you, so you're serving full time mm-hmm. while filming full time. Yep. And you're getting paid for both. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Are you making more filming or serving? Over the course, it's probably about the same. I mean, really? yeah, it's like it's it, it's not a lot when you when you're starting out. Okay. I think it was a pretty small amount. I think it was like let's see how much you end up being in it, and then maybe there's okay. there's like something on the back end. I think I remember, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a lot. It was again mostly about like opportunity. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> and one of the things I asked, I've had, we've had some Real Housewives on. We've had people from MTV, mm-hmm. ABC shows, and I'm always curious, especially with a new show like this. And I think this is relatable to anyone at home that's trying to understand their value for what they do. How do you know what your value is when an offer comes to you from like a show or a season that you've, there's no basis. You can't go, oh, well, the, the people last season got paid this. Like, how do you know what you should be paid? And, and did you negotiate it? all? We didn't have any I- idea. Obviously, I mean, because it's you can't really compare yourselves to a housewife show because that's a franchise and they're going to base their first season off of like, you know, another show's first season and what they got paid. And, you know, but for us, it's like we're a brand new kind of show. Yeah. So we had Ramona sing around and Jill Zare and they were like the OG. So mm-hmm. they're like the first ever season of Real Housewives. So there was no other Real Housewives. Well, OC was the first. OC. OC. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Pop <laughs> culture fact check. Yeah. And they said that what they did was. They just, they just wanted it so bad because they already had the money. Mm. They're like, we'll just take it. And so I think it was like seventy five hundred an episode. They didn't even negotiate it. And then Ramona was like, yeah, like saying it, it was Jill's fault. And Jill was like, what is she talking about? But it doesn't sound like you guys had any of those conflicts where you're talking to other people and being like, should we go in together and try and negotiate more or anything like that? I don't know. I don't think there was any of that. We just also like had no idea. Yeah. I think the only other person had been on a show before, but it was just a totally different thing was Stassi. She had done okay. Amazing Race and then the, some other show called Queen yeah. Bees, but even then it wasn't really anything to compare to. So you just give it a go, see yeah. what we can get paid. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. How do you, like, so in the Bachelor world, you go on The Bachelor, Bachelorette, and then I remember when we were in the season, a lot of the guys were talking like, what do we have to do to get asked to be on paradise it was like a big conversation like everyone wanted to get the next show which is crazy in your season one after it airs do you guys immediately already know like you're going to be brought on for season two are you trying to like sell that you'll be brought on like how did you know if the next season would be there what was that like i felt like season one was lightning in a bottle we all we (laughs) all were like like, that thing lightning in a bottle the core of us Myself and Kristen and Stassi and Tom and Jax and Tom were 
the six, you know, the six of us were already like best friends, mm -hmm. you know, and all dating each other and had been for years before the show. And so having already this organic sort of friendship that had existed prior to and was continuing to exist, it was kind of like, okay, well, if the show comes back, it's kind of hard to like leave one of us out a little yeah. bit, you know? So, I mean, there was, there was that bit of confidence that was there and that the story was there and the friendship was there still, but still like it, it's a little bit nerve wracking because you still have to prove that you can, you know, brings you know bring something bring value to the show so i mean i don't know i, I remember was being like a little nervous because you know I, I i didn't have the it didn't come as natural to me as it came to other people i'd say that do you think like you felt pressure to like there are some people from the winter house and in summer summer house from bravo that were saying they felt pressure to be more performative early on so that they would keep their job did you feel any of that? Or were you just like, I'm just going to be me and whatever happens, if they keep me, they keep me. And if they don't, they don't. It wasn't necessarily performative, but there was, you know, the, the, my friends around the show that had such big personalities and such strong opinions. And I, you know, I'm a little, was a little bit more reserved mm -hmm. in mine. I was, I was somebody that would often think before I spoke and would, would like to observe what was happening and not get involved as much. So I had to kind of, become a little bit quicker and put my thoughts in my mouth and say exactly what I was thinking when I was thinking it rather than holding back and waiting to say what I was thinking. Interesting. So it wasn't performing. And yeah. I didn't feel that, it was, it was just the pressure to just be a little bit more proactive in all of that, just so I was getting involved a little bit more. So I don't, I don't know if that necessarily means being performative, but it just means, you know, just becoming a little bit Louder, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> no, louder and quicker, right? If you have the it, thought, like, get, it's rather than internalize what you might do at home, it's like, if you have it, you got to say it on yeah. TV, right? To make the big, exactly. big punch. At what point, when we talk about business, we've talked a ton on this podcast about monetizing social media. At what point was your social media growing to a point that you can make a couple bucks off it? It took a while because also when our show started, we premiered in 2013. So Instagram had been around for like a couple of years, but it it wasn't what it was now, especially or even what it was a few years later. It 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 wasn't this thing that people were making money off of. There was mm -hmm. maybe some like bloggers, but everyone was just still posting pictures of like a weird, you know, sunset. Like it was just we were just shit posting nonstop. Yeah. But as our audience grew, that's when, you know, social media was starting to like become what it you know, eventually became. Sure. So I would say it was maybe a few years in. It did. It took some Okay, like 2016-ish time. time? 16, yeah. Gotcha. 15, 16. Mm -hmm. And when you look at like your businesses today and the things you're doing and just like income coming in, would you say social media is like a main component of that? I mean, it's definitely, yeah, blended yeah. to that for sure. Is there one social media platform you like working with the most? Like TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Is there one you prefer over? I mean, I uh, like Instagram only because that's the one I'm most comfortable with. I, I'm I'm terrible at social media. <laughs> I, I, and I know what? that's, I know I just, it's just, I feel pressure with social media to be active on it, to be consistent uh, with it. I don't understand algorithms. And, mm -hmm. I, and I know that's poor business on my end yeah. of it because that is such an important part of it all. I just... If, if it's extremely like daunting to me yeah, to have to, to be at the whim of something that is just out of my control at times, because again, these algorithms don't make any sense and there's no <laughs> rhyme or reason to them. People think that they can hack it and they can, you know, but at the no end of the day, no, no one's bigger than that algorithm. No, that's for so sure. I, I just, I kind of miss the, the simpler days. Yeah. When you just could just like fun. take a photo and put it out and now it's so... Everyone, yeah, I think it, that's an important thought that anyone that does have a following for the most part, there's so much thought and planning and time that goes in behind what's put out there. Like yeah. even even Mr. Like Mr. Beast, the biggest YouTuber in the planet, he talks about the fact that when he does a video, he plans it five months in advance. And he's big on like he invests all this money into it. So he'll put millions of dollars 
into his videos just to keep growing his audience and knowing that the money's going to keep coming back. So it's just, it's a crazy, the whole social media world is just yeah. nuts. I miss the authenticity of it. And that's, well, that's something I do like about TikTok because I feel like it has mm -hmm. that more raw authenticity to it, even yeah. though if it doesn't. But I feel like you're seeing just more real people on it again. And it's yep. not this heavily overly curated stuff that you see on Instagram, even though I love Instagram still. And that's sure. my main, you know, thing that I do. I've, I try to get into TikTok a little more. I've just yeah. been much more of a spectator than anything because it's just so entertaining. It is. It's, I have to talk to myself like, okay, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, <laughs> and then shut it down because that algorithm locks you in. It like oh. controls your brain. It's nuts. I like the guy's like, whoa, you've been scrolling for way too long. Yeah, I like seriously. I'm I like to put like monitors on. Like, stop, put it down. Like, because it's just, it's, little, it's the most time consuming thing. Yeah. When you, this is a question I usually ask almost anyone that comes from the reality TV space. When you look at social media and you look at income from the show, which do you think you've been able to monetize at a larger value? Like over the whole course of everything. Vanderpump or social media? They go hand in hand because most of my following has been because of the show. You know, I haven't grown my social on social. I've like most of the people are following me from the show. So I feel like they're, yeah. they're sort of mutually exclusive in a lot of ways. Gotcha. So I'd say the show. Okay, that's fair. There you go. Show wins that one. Yeah. Another business venture I saw you got is a sandwich shop. There's an article you, Ariana Maddox, right? Mm -hmm. Are you guys are opening up a sandwich shop? Now that's a curveball. We got yeah. you're in the bar you're in the bar service business. You get go on to Vanderpump. You're ten seasons in. Then social media is taken off. The podcast that aligns the sandwich shop. Yeah. Talk to me about this. Okay. What was the thought there? I am someone that. <laughs> heavily romanticizes life. I watch a lot of rom-coms. Mm -hmm. I'm into like, you know, the, the Nora Ephron and Nancy Myers movies big time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just envision like myself owning like a little shop or like this like, little <laughs> boutique, you know, and it's like where I go and it's like where I spend my days. And it's just mm -hmm. like very like quaint and simple, but like, it's just that kind of life, you know? And then the handsome man comes in, <laughs> breezes in off the street and he's like, oh my gosh, like, can I order a sandwich? <laughs> and you're like, just, this is my shop. What's uh, your name? <laughs> yeah. But sandwiches are the goat. I mean, I love sandwiches. Okay. Sandwiches, who doesn't love sandwiches? I love it. And you're doing it, which is the coolest mm -hmm. part. I think a lot of people want that, but they don't find a way to do it. You're finding a way to do it, which is so cool. <laughs> I'm trying. You're trying. How much are you trying to raise? So we worked with consultants okay. to come up with the whole, you know, budget, pre-budget, you know, pro forma projections. All I mean, we got spreadsheets on spreadsheets on spreadsheets, <laughs> like how much we need a budget for a toilet paper every month. So like we got numbers and it first started off. And when they first sold us a number, I think it was like over like 700,000, but that okay. was going to be for like an entire like build out sure. of like taking just like a blank room, nothing potentially having to do like plumbing and building a kitchen and all the, you know, making it, you know, ADA compliant. So like, we, it was just, that was going to be like the top. And we we're like, dang. But then when they broke it down, we we're like, okay, well, I guess, you know, got to prepare mm -hmm. for the worst. This is what they do. They worked with a lot of restaurants around the city. So they even know kind of just costs for things here, especially. Sure. But also don't want to run out of money. So, you know, got to give yourself a runway, but also some, you know, working capital on top of that. So, for someone that finds it boring, you just nailed all that. The performer, the projections, the working capital. I mean, you, you even I got the you, jargon down. I've gotten an education this last year. Yeah. What's the timetable been? Since you put that first dollar down for this business, how long has it been since then? It's been a little over a year. Yeah. So I think that's really poor. Like it, it takes a year and still no the revenue in because that's the planning process. Mm -hmm. So you really got, if you're going to open up something like retail or something in the, this space, you have to be like so passionate about it like you are because it takes so much time and energy before mm. you get up and going. Yeah. I think it's also really smart to create a budget and a business plan and work with people and really kind of nail down all those things. So you especially if, you, if you've never done something like this before, yeah. just so you can get really comfortable with the numbers and what everything is. And yeah, I love I, it. I'm really glad that we did it that way. If you're an investor and you want part of a sandwich shot owned by some of the biggest Vanderpump reality stars, go give Katie a call. All right. I have one question I want to ask you before we get into your trading secret. You have season 10 premiering. Is there something 
is viewers to Vanderpump, because this is a business, finance, and money podcast, that we would be surprised about when it comes to either money or how promotions work or how like the career aspect works, things like behind the curtain when it comes to Vanderpump. Is there anything that you think is a viewer we would be like, that's interesting. And I don't know, maybe something about that can inspire someone to do something differently. I've always seen a lot of speculation on what people make. I think that's like life everywhere. Yeah. That's like part of the thesis of this podcast. No one knows what they should make. And and people, <laughs> you Google, like if I Google it right now, <laughs> I mean, let's do it. That'd be fun. Go let's ahead. see. What does? I see a lot Katie? of speculation on what people make, you know, they always try to guess like who makes the most per episode or like what people make per episode or what, who, you know, and it's, it's just, it's very Off. interesting. I think they would be surprised. I Googled it. It's, it's like everywhere. None of this stuff is ever right, but it says Katie Maloney reportedly make 10,000 to 25,000 per episode. Incorrect. False. False. Wow. And that's a legitimate news source. That I see one by, so if that's false, then this one's got the highest, this is Yahoo, the highest paid Vanderpump cast member. They're saying Stasi, and they're saying 15,000 an episode. Incorrect. Where do they come up with this <laughs> I stuff? don't know. That's the thing. Is like okay. I don't know. Without, There's no way for them to know. Without like, you know, getting yourself in trouble. Do you, do you know what the other cast members make? Do you talk about it? I know what, at this point, what like Sheena and Tom Sandoval would potentially make because they would be making the same amount as me because we are on the same, we would be on the same contract still. Got it. Or yeah, well actually no, I don't even know about Sheena, me and Tom. I think I think me and Tom, because we started originally and we're the, the only ones I think I don't, I don't know about Sheena, but maybe he's probably the only one I know what he makes. Interesting. Okay. And you, I assume at this point, you guys have full agents representing you and everything. I have a lawyer that does So a lawyer mine. does yeah. it. And then the lawyer gets 5%. Yeah. That's how it works. But you, I, but other than that, you just... I just think really all you need yeah. in this industry is a lawyer. Yeah. Because there's so many people that are trying to get hands in your pockets. Yes. And, that's, and only 5% makes a big difference over 10 years. Yeah. You just need a lawyer. You just, because really, and truthfully, they're the only ones legally that can actually negotiate. Asians really even aren't supposed to do that a lot of time. Okay. Interesting. All right, guys. Well, there you go. There's a little trading secret. The people that, the information out there about what people are paid, again, is off. And that's something we talk about in this podcast. Before we get your trading secret, the last portion I have, would you say that the stuff out there about what people are paid on Vanderpump we got 500 people come in this room, okay? <laughs> we survey them all. We give oh, them a little man. survey. They have to say yes or no. In general, do you think the collective group of that 500, do they think the number they come up with, so they say they come up with a number of how much people on Vanderpump make, you know what that number is. Is their number more than what you make or less? Do it's we, less. It's less. Okay. So most people, yes. you believe believe that Vanderpump stars make less than they actually do. <laughs> yeah. There we go. We did it. We got to that. <laughs> that's fair. But that's like the biggest part of this podcast is talking about like where people make money and how because we don't talk about it. And if we do talk about it, it gives you information to potentially think about a different career. Think about opening a restaurant. Think about maybe getting into side hustle of bartending or service industry because we just can't find the information anywhere. Okay, let's wrap with this, a trading secret. If it's the name of the podcast, we get one from every guest. It's something about either life navigation, inspiration, career development, money management, anything. It's your trading secret. Something that like you look at your either financial well-being or your career development or just your life development. Something that you could give the people that they couldn't learn from like a professor in a classroom or they couldn't read in a textbook. They could just learn it from Katie's story. I would say you get to assign your own value to yourself. And so you should always remember your own worth when it comes to, you know, your relationships and in the workplace. 
and never settle for less. That is a really, really good one. I love it. All right. That is Katie Maloney's trading secret. I think that's so good because even like we just talked about people and I tell people to do it often, talk to others about what they make, ask what your peers are doing. But I think a good counter to that is what you said is like, if you're always seeing for information from others, how are you going to establish your value? You need to establish your own value in relationships at work, your output, et cetera. I love it. It's such a good perspective. Katie, people know where to find you if they want to invest in your business, but where can they find your podcast, your social media, and everything else you have going on? Yeah, so really, I'm only on the gram, Music Heals Kate. I mean, you can go look at my few TikToks I have. <laughs> I don't even know what my handle is on there, so maybe don't. And then my podcast comes out every Friday. It's called You're Gonna Love Me. And you can listen to it on all the you know platforms where you listen to podcasts. I love it. Guys, go yeah. follow Katie yeah. along. I think what you should do with the TikTok, just a thought, make it focused on this sandwich shop, like the behind the scenes, getting it started. I see all these people doing that on TikTok and they're blowing up. And then it's, it becomes a advertising revenue. Ooh, that's a great idea. There we go. Once we can get damn money. <laughs> so. Once we get grooving on it, then for sure. I love it. Awesome. Well, Katie, thank you for being on this episode of Trading Secrets. My pleasure. We are closing in the bell to the Katie Maloney podcast, Vanderpump Rules star and now entrepreneur. Uh, it was so good to have her on the show. Not our first Vanderpump Rules celebrity that has come on. We had Lala Kent and hopefully we'll have more down the road. Now we're on trading secrets. Let me trade you a little secret. Before we, <laughs> we signed on for this podcast, we in the production team were having a wild debate and I want you to think about it at home and it has nothing to do with careers, money, or finance. When you have to go poop and you have to go poop bad, will you take a shit in public? That is the master debate that we have here. Uh, Evan says no. He will refuse to take a shit in public. David and I, not so much. We're down to get down when we got to get down. And that is a little trading secret from behind the scenes of the production team. Before we jump into the recap of Katie Maloney, David, any comments on that? <laughs> I was not expecting that uh, to be aired out, but I, my my theory that I live by in these situations is better out than in. Better out than in. I love that. All right. Well, here, boys, we are covering it all. I hope you guys aren't embarrassed by that, Evan and David. But when the boys talk about these things, we got to trade the secrets with the listeners. Now, let's get right. into the Katie Maloney show. <laughs> Remember to give us five stars, reviews. And you know what? If you want to put in a review in there, private or public, we will get a good laugh out of it. So five stars, throw reviews. David Ardoin, Katie Maloney, what do you think? What do you got? I love it. I love it. Uh, great start. Hot start. I got to say, the Katie Maloney episode. I know I'm the curious Canadian. I kind of want to take the angle of being the critical Canadian on this one. How do you feel about that, Jay? I love, I mean, I love it. Like any type of opinion from the curious Canadian is why you're here. So you bring it on. You have a 1.2 million follower, Vanderpump star. Uh, Katie is awesome at what she does. And it was great having her on. But I, I got to use this analogy. Sometimes when I watch golf on TV, I love watching golf on TV. And my wife looks at me and she goes, this is so slow. How do you watch this? How are you entertained by this? I feel like I could take a nap. I felt like it was in my wife's shoes. My wife watches Vanderpump since the start. She's an OG fan. And, and this episode, I just felt like a little disengaged from it. Now, I know our viewers are probably huge Vanderpump fans like, like my wife is. But that's just like the feel. I feel like, okay, I put myself in my wife's my wife shoes a little bit while she's watching golf for this episode. And maybe it was that. Maybe it was the energy in the room. Tell, just, I just wanted to throw that out there and see if you could, what, you, what you send back my way. Yeah, I think that's the critical Canadian. There we go. The curious <laughs> and critical Canadian. I think it's very fair. So I too don't watch Vanderpump. Now, I watch a lot of these shows. I think when I watch the show, I immediately have more comfort or if I know the person because I know their energy and it's easier to emulate kind of their energy and their strategy and how they work. When you don't meet someone and you haven't watched the show, you only have to go off research, which is what I had to do. You have to you have to kind of mirror their their energy and their take. And so what's interesting is she's very she's quieter. Yeah. And she even said it herself, it's something she had to work on at Vanderpump, which was overthinking before she speaks and she's slower with delivery. Like there's times and I you know behind the scenes I edit out a lot of speed when she was thinking about something and I would edit that time out 
and then just put her answer in because I wanted to make it um, pretty engaging. So she's extremely well thought out. And Did it's you think she slower. was nervous? I was thinking about that. I'm not sure. I just don't know. I, the problem is people back at home could probably tell me that's Katie's personality. I just don't know it. When she told right. me that in season one of Vanderpump that she had, you know, issues with immediately speaking her mind, it makes me think that's kind of her. But I will say in circumstances, I'm very surprised when some people do get nervous when they come on the show because they're typically not nervous. Like Shannon Ford, that girl doesn't have one nervous like bone <laughs> in her body. But when she walked in the door, she's like, uh, Jay, I don't know what I'm going to like say because like I don't even know how to spell money you know like you could tell she was like out of her element Caitlin Bristol one Kate, of the most confident saying. humans I know writing things on her hand you guys will see that episode soon by the way we got Tyler Cameron coming on next week that's Hey-o. gonna be nuts we got a huge lineup she's writing stuff on her hand in which the sweat from her hand is bleeding this stuff off because she's nervous to speak to me or fiance about a business podcast sometimes you take people out of their element and they lose a little of their comfort I think that's what we saw here 100 and then you have people like chloe who we just had on who comes in like guns blazing too so it's just really interesting now that we're getting almost 100 episodes into it to just see people's energy and kind of how it uh, relates to the episode regardless or not katie it's, can i just say this ahead. one yeah, thing absolutely. you just touched on something that's so important and i think it's really like i want to take i always like to take lessons that are far-fetched for people at home and bring them to like something that's relatable 100 far-fetched from home is i don't know People on a, on a weekly basis aren't probably sitting down and interviewing Rob Gronkowski, right? But people are probably meeting with people from colleagues. They're interviewing for a job. They're maybe going on a date. And I think one of the hardest things in all those scenarios, whether it's interview, a date, talking to a colleague at lunch, or be, uh, interviewing Rob, is instantly trying to understand the tone at which people speak, trying to mirror their energy, trying to make them feel comfortable to bring their guard down. That is so hard. Yeah. And I have found that it's it's actually so transparent through interviews when you could see that I'm trying to do that. Like with Rob, it was just so natural. I've known him. I could talk to him all day. The banter's there. I know how he I know how he is. With Katie, I don't know her. So I'm trying to match the energy to make her feel calm. And you can totally see it. It's transparent. You can. Like I remember the Chloe episode, we walked out of there being like, wow, we had to like fight to get words in there. The energy was so high, like ready to go. And this was like the opposite. It's like you're not fighting to get words and you're trying to slow it down and make them feel comfortable and like yeah. articulate what's expected. And then like you see, she definitely did ease into the episode, definitely near the end, you know, shared some, you know, your, I think your guys' rapport too, like as she got comfortable, a little more laughs, a little more giggles, like not so worried about the questions being asked, but a, a true success story, you, we, we can never, you know, overlook the fact that we have these people on who obviously have these platforms and celebrity status and careers. Now they're entrepreneurs and they get into business ventures. She started as when you brought up the question, you're like professional before Vanderpump. She's like, I was a waitress. I was a bartender. So one question I do have that I was curious about, okay, critical Canadian, he's done. He's checked out. He punched his card. Curious okay. Canadian, he's back in. Let's go. When you're working in that industry, she, you equated it to $1,600 a month uh, bartending and serving for what she was making. Is that taxed money? Like different from like the W-2 from wages or a 1099 employee, are you expected to pay taxes on your on your tip money as a bartender or server? So I'm glad you asked this question. I think first and foremost, I just want to address the fact of what you said. She was a server and that opportunity turned into a gold mine. Now, do I think all servers out there, opportunities are going to turn into gold mines? No, but I do think it's really important that if you are selecting a side hustle or a main job, you're really thinking about what value it can bring to you other than just the dollars and the job. And I think something with serving and other side hustles is networking, meeting people, talking to other humans. You never know where it could lead, especially if you're at a really big spot. Uh, in LA. Obviously, that became a gold mine. Now, back to your question. This is the golden question. Now, someone recently asked me, um, and like, you know, this is stuff that's like, eh, do I want to talk about this or not? But it's the reality of how the world works. So, you know, here's how it is. I was asked by someone, I have a lot of cash that I got from a job that was paid in cash. Okay. And so this person asked me, what would you do with it? And I was like, well, you know, like I don't really want to, <laughs> to like kind of give you suggestions of what to do with cash that you haven't paid for. But a lot of the times when you hear people say, uh, you got cash, you got cash. If you're paying in cash, 
The thing is, is that it's much easier for these individuals to not claim it on their taxes because there's technically no record of it. So like if you pay cash, let's say you're building a house and you know you have, I don't know, 30 grand in cash and you go to the con- con- contractor and say, I'll either pay uh, you know 40K by the books or 30K in cash. Um, they're probably going to take 30K in cash because that's going to be less than their tax rate and they won't have to pay tax on it. So that is illegal. Let's just make that clear. That is illegal. But it's it's a big conversation of why people want cash. I mean, the other day I got a manicure. I was just at a little spot down the road, you know, a little hole in the wall. Uh, I was just, I had a couple of time minutes. I was biting my nails too much. And the lady, as she checked out, she goes, you got cash, you got cash. Like, I'll take cash, right? That's why. Okay. Now with servers, technically, or bartenders, when you get cash tips, you are supposed to legally claim them. You want to claim them because when you claim them, you're showcasing to the government, to the world, to the state that you earn this money and you owe taxes on it. Do most people claim them? No, they don't. So if you're taking that cash and you're not claiming it, you're not paying taxes on it. So if that is the case, which we can't assume at all for Katie, but if that is the case and you earn 500 bucks and it's not taxed, you really just earned about, I don't know, let's do a tax rate of, you know, whatever, whatever your tax bracket is, you really earned like, you know, 700 to 900 bucks because that's the gross of the Mm -hmm. net you would receive is 500 after taxes. So technically, legally, you're supposed to do it, but the reality And I think anybody from like the IRS down to me sitting here is going to say, does it happen all the time? It doesn't. The uh, 1099 world that I've now dipped my toe in with this podcast and actually another job that I picked up is like a very scary world because you always heard about these influencers who are coming on and um, having to, you know, strategize amongst these paydays to put them in savings. Like you've talked about to pay the 40%. It's it's different. It's a different form of, of strategy and saving and planning. It's different, but the big difference is if you're 1099 and you're paid the way you're supposed to be, which will always be, they give you a W-9, you understand what their payment information is, you give that to them electronically, you showcase and give them a 1099 at tax time. That's all legally tracked professionally how it should be done. The problem is when cash is entered into the mix, mm-hmm. you can't track cash digitally. You can't, how am I going to expense it? If you can, then you know there, there becomes more headaches with that. And that's where the issue becomes. So kind of different, the headaches at 1099 and saving for tax planning versus just cash transactions. That makes sense. That makes sense. So yeah. so she, she does that. She goes in the bartending and then she goes in the serving, right place, right time. Um, she talked a little bit about how Vanderpump came to be. One thing you wanted me to bring up in the recap was when she was talking about the pilot and the sizzle and the green light, a couple of buzzwords there that we may have touched on in brief, but never really gotten some definitions on it. So can you enlighten us and for the people who are waiting for this, both yep, sizzle the, and green light? I'm a big analogy guy, big metaphor guy. The biggest metaphor I could give you is a sizzle to a TV show is like a resume to you, right? Okay. What they are trying to do is capture in a very like condensed version what the show will look like, how it will look like, what it, what you could feel, some of the introduction to characters, the vibe, the feel. Here's how I describe it for my bachelor people back home. When they give you that uh, foreshadow of what's to come for the season at the end of the season, mm. think about that like a sizzle, like they sizzle the rest of the season so you're great. interested. Now, what they'll do is they'll record a sizzle. If it's a new TV show, they'll put this like portfolio, this like resume together, and then they ship it out. And once they ship it out, they're trying to get it sold. That's that's pretty much what they're used for. Now, what does it mean if they're successful? If they're successful, a sizzle means, and the word that came up is greenlit, right? So in context, what greenlit means is that it got approved to do its production. So that means the financing of the production was approved. That means that the commitment to paying all those bills uh, was approved. This is essentially the, the, the next step of your project is good. You got the characters, you got the people, you got the videographers, the audio, all that stuff. Go make it happen. So okay. it's like the, you know, the big development phase to proceed with filming the show. Well, they sizzled, they got greenlit, and now they're an absolute wagon uh, premiering <laughs> season 10, uh, which is currently going on. Have you ever uh, been to the Vanderpump establishments? Any restaurants, sure, sir, anything? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. I've, I've seen the one in Vegas, and it's fucking cool. I mean, there's it's one really in, cool. There's one in Charleston that Ashley really wanted to go to, and we stumbled upon it and never ended up going in. Uh, it was like, you know, like all of them probably packed with a line and 
you know, people there to take pictures more than to eat. So I've never been to one either. Interesting. Yeah. Do you, th- it, do you think there'll ever be like a Bachelor Nation bar restaurant type it's, of dude, vibe? Dude, it's like we're vibing here because you literally took the thought from my brain uh, to say, go. why has this franchise of 21 years done nothing? Like, where's your where's your Rose Con? Where is your Bachelor Nation mansion? Where is your Bachelor restaurant or bar? Where right. is your replica? Like, the fucking money that could be made off the alumni in the show is disgusting and nothing has been done. So then what happens is we all go try and figure it out for ourselves. And some of us, some of us do, some of us don't. We should open a Bachelor-themed uh, restaurant and call it Rosé. Wow. Have Caitlin's Rosé in it? She can be an investor. And then they can have all these people, these alums that like make their appearances and come out and get a little cut, a little action, a little deal. Take it. I mean, I love it. Yeah. I I was thinking about that. Like, you know, if you go down, let's say it's the summer, David, and it's like five, it's like 8 p.m. on the summer. You say to me, Jason, where is the worst place that, or best place that someone could go from Bachelor Nation? Uh, It would be, on Broadway, in Nashville, in the summer at 8 p.m. Why? Mm-hmm. Because it's all bachelor at parties, and all bachelorette parties are the viewing demographic, just the reality of the scenario, of The Bachelor. Yeah. So you're going to get a lot of recognition and all this stuff. And, you know, so it's like one of those places, like, if you go, you know you're going because, like, you know it's yes. coming with the territory. Yes. So if you set up a bachelor, yes. bachelorette, bachelor in paradise theme bar, you do appearances, they got the vibe, you have, like, the wall of fame of the legends, that could be cool. Nashville could be the spot. San Diego, Nashville, Chicago. Those are my yes. three locations. Maybe we just do all three of them. Should we? Wow. I think we're on to something. If they're not going to yeah. do it, maybe we should. The only problem is they have so much power and leverage. They could just be like, well, fuck you guys. We will make sure every contract's carved out so you can't get any of the new cast. And I'd be like, okay, maybe that's From, okay. Maybe we don't want the new cast. To Rose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, look, we came up with an idea. If you are listening and you would go to Rose our restaurant, uh, please uh, leave a review. And I have to say, before we sign off here, the reviews, the ratings, they're coming in. We read every single one of them. I think the Chloe episode produced more reviews in the first week in release than any other episode that we've had. And they're incredible. And I know Jason and Evan are working on, if they haven't already, getting the books given out to some people who left reviews in the comments. Um, a lot of people loved the episode um, and I hope you love this one too. So keep leaving your reviews. We read all of them and they mean a lot to us. These reviews, David, I just got some goosers. I didn't know this. We got like a shit ton of reviews on this Chloe I, podcast. I told you I, I sent a, I had to, I screen recorded a video to show you all the reviews. My oh thumb my was sore after my, th- I, had to, I, I had to ice my thumb. It was going on for so long. This is nuts. All right, so you screenshot this. We'll send it to Chloe. Well, guys, thank you. Literally, like we work our ass off on this show, whether you guys know it or not. But every day we're figuring out what we could do the recap. You heard in this episode, we did the whole Q&A to try and bring some listener questions in. We're trying to get the best guests at the best time. We're doing as much research as we possibly can before these shows. And we are trying so damn hard to listen to your feedback. So please know that we are working in your best interest. If you have feedback, if you have topics, if you have guests you want us to cover, please give us five stars. We're almost at 4,000 reviews at a 4.9 rating, which is awesome. Please give us that uh, feedback. We will listen. Also, the other ways you can help support the pod and get a little bit more of us. We have the Facebook group just called Trading Secrets Podcast. Join it. Every week, I'm doing open Q&A, responding with videos. Uh, we have articles that we post there, et cetera. We have the Trading Secrets Podcast Instagram page, 135,000 followers growing by the second. We have a newsletter that goes out every single Monday. If you're interested in that, just go to my Instagram profile and there's a little link there and you can sign up for it. It's free. And we also have a networking group. In the networking group, if you have a business, if you have an idea, We will promote it in our email newsletter. We will promote it on our Instagram. And we have networking events every single month. This week, we had the founder of Siegelman Stable, which is a hat company. Essentially, they owned a stable. He then created a clothing line from it in the pandemic. His hats, got he's never done anything in clothing. His hats got on the famous people of uh, the Kardashians, the Post Malones, all these massive, massive stars, Justin Bieber, all starting to start wearing his stuff. Now, these hats are reselling on the black 
market for like three, 400 bucks. That story was crazy. That's only for all access members. That's all I got. And again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Next week. Holy shit. Next week. Buckle up. We got an exclusive trading secrets interview with Tyler Cameron. He doesn't do these interviews. He doesn't share this information, but next week he does. David, before we sign off, you got anything else? I just hope that you and Tyler are wearing shirts for the interview. And if there's no shirts involved, I don't know if I can show up for the recap just for, you know, my own sake here. When I step into his world, it's almost guaranteed I have to take my shirt off. (laughs) After the pod, I was doing a project with him I can't talk about. I was doing that project. I was in his world. My shirt had to come off. In my world, his shirt is staying on and I don't (laughs) give a shit what's under his neck. I want to hear what's between his ears and that's what you're going to hear. Guys, please remember to subscribe. Just hit that subscribe button. It is free to do so, and it really, really helps our show analytics. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Trading Secrets. One you can't afford to miss. And next week, we will see you on the Tyler fucking Cameron Show. Woo! Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.